love pastoring, loving, and leading here at Avenue. Now, you might be wondering, are you preaching again this weekend? Yes, because I ran out of time last weekend. Yeah. But I honored y'all. We weren't here till noon. We stayed on time. And so we're going to continue that talk. But let me preface it with this. I remember when I was 18 years old, I had fallen in love with Jesus and I gave my life to him. And I thought, what am I going to do with my life? And I had such a heart for people and teaching. And so I went to college right away to become a teacher. I made it through year one. I made it through year two. I was enrolled for year three when I met at a coffee shop, excuse me, an ice cream shop, it was Cold Stone. When I met at Cold Stone Creamery, this crazy on fire young adult named Jason. And he had a bunch of friends with him and somehow we found out that we knew each other and he says, you wanna hang out? I was like, sure, I got nothing else going on tonight. And so I hang out with this group and they had a guitar and one thing led to another and we ended up worshiping and praying in a living room. And I remember he came up to me, he said, Lindsay, I just feel really strongly that the Lord's got a call of God on your life. And I'm like, well, <laughs> I haven't heard that yet, right? So I'm just, I'm listening to what he has to say. He goes, no, I think you're supposed to be in a school of ministry. Well, long story short, 18 years ago, I did not go to that third year of college. I went to a school of ministry and later finished my degree in ministry and leadership. But that doesn't mean that the teacher's gone in me. I'm still very much a teacher, but this is what I teach. I love the word of God and my heart for our church, my heart really for, for people all over the world is that this was never meant to be intimidating. It's meant to be respected and, and in awe of, but it's never meant to be an intimidation in our lives. In fact, it's meant to be life-giving. I look at this as this is an outstretch of God to me. This is my friend. This is the word, this, the Bible is described as the bread of life. Like I eat this thing, I devour this thing, but I have a loving relationship with the word of God. And so my hope today is we're jumping back into some of the Bible stories we've been going over this summer is that you would jump in to the deep end with me. You'd go swimming, you know, maybe we've sung in a little bit on this side of the pool, but trust me to take you a little bit deeper as we look at the story of Naaman and as we look at the story of Elisha. And I'm just, I'm so excited about that. So before we jump in, I gotta tell you one more thing. We actually have something happening tonight at church. We are relaunching Avenue Youth at 6 p.m., yes. And we are so excited. So if you have a teenager between sixth grade and senior high, 12th grade, I almost had a senior moment myself right there. Sixth to 12th grade, we want you back here at six o'clock because we have an incredible, incredible night planned for them. We're gonna be meeting here every single Sunday, six o'clock. So a youth ministry alive is worth the drive, right? A church alive is worth the drive. If you need help with gas money, you reach out to me and I will help you get your people here. So let's do this. So we're gonna jump back into the message real quick. We talked about last week when opposition became opportunity. But today I wanna to talk about when opportunity becomes opposition. What happens when I find myself with an opportunity, but I also find myself conflicted with opposition? And I believe the story of Naaman and Elisha actually fits this perfectly. And so let's dive into 2 Kings this morning. In chapter five, we're gonna just do a little bit of recap. It says the king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army because through him, the Lord had given Aram great victories. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. 
And Pastor Jeremy explained that to us. That was a horrific skin disease in which there was no cure. And he would slowly deteriorate over the course of his life. And so he's this mighty warrior, but he's suffering from leprosy. At this time, Aramean raiders, Armenian raiders had invaded the land of Israel and among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. So they stole a young child and brought her to this other culture. If you go on. One day the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go to see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. And so we know this story because Pastor Jeremy shared it with us. Naaman goes to his king and says, hey, this girl tells me that there is a prophet in the land of Israel that serves the God of Israel. And she tells me if I go to see him, I can be healed. And so the king of Aram says, yes, absolutely go, go to, to, to him and, and be healed. And here, take along all of this money and this letter to the king of Israel and let's get this thing done. And so he does. And what ends up happening is very, very interesting because Naaman, again, is this mighty warrior. And so he comes with this, this huge cargo of, of finances and gifts and it shows his power. And yet when he comes to Elisha, the prophet, Elisha doesn't even meet with him. In fact, he sends out his servant to tell him, yes, God will heal you, but you're going to have to go dip into the Jordan River seven times and then you will be healed. Well, this infuriated Naaman. Why would it infuriate Naaman? He had an opportunity to be healed. Isn't that what he did all this traveling for? that the prophet of Israel could heal him of leprosy through the power of his God, the opportunity was in front of him. But what was the opposition inside of him? See, what's really interesting when it comes to opportunity, what comes to opportunity, it actually, when opportunity becomes opposition, it reveals the condition of your heart. So if you find yourself in the middle of an opportunity that you have in front of you, but yet there's some opposition, there's confliction, it's because it's revealing something that's in your heart. See, what was in Naaman's heart? Well, Naaman was a hero and he was used to being known as a hero. All throughout his land, he was known as a mighty warrior and he was greatly respected by all people in that land. And so here he is coming and they might not know him, but can't they see the cargo that I bring, right? Can't you see the car that I just rolled up in? Can't you see the shoes on my feet? Can't you see my outfit? You should be able to look at me and see that I am a mighty man of dignity. I'm respected. And yet when Naaman arrives, he doesn't get the red carpet rolled out for him. He doesn't get the royal. I mean, this guy got a letter from the king, like him and the king are buds. The king loves him because Naaman has been victorious for their nation. But yet here he is in just a, a lowly prophet's door and that prophet won't even come out and talk to him. So Naaman's like, forget you, I'm out, peace out. It revealed the condition of his heart. And he said, I'm not gonna do that. See, what I have learned about our reactions is that instant reactions aren't always the best reactions. <laughs> you chuckled because you've done this, right? Instant reactions aren't always our best reactions. Have you ever been asked to do something that you thought was beneath you? Have you ever been in a room where you thought that you were going to have maybe an opportunity of promotion? Maybe you were going to be handpicked for something and instead it went to somebody else and you were offered something that you looked at as a demotion. How did you feel? 
What did you think? What kind of response did you have? Naaman had a response. Forget you, Elisha. I'm out. Leprosy and all, we're out of here. All my silver, all these clothing, all these animals, I'm gone. But thank God that Naaman had some officers around him. And his officers looked to him and said, I don't think you should do that. I mean, what, what's so bad about dipping in the Jordan River? Well, I'll tell you what's so bad about dipping in the Jordan River. Well, the bad thing about dipping in the Jordan River is that the Jordan River was small. It was muddy. It wasn't beautiful. It wasn't clean. It was mucky. So why would a distinguished man go and dip himself in muddy, dirty water that ordinary people would be in? Because he's not ordinary. See, the thing about our reactions often, especially if we're, we're frustrated, right? Or we're frustrated with how I feel. The issue with these reactions is that they do reveal the condition of our hearts. And the condition of his heart was pride, okay? It was pride. And often when we have pride in our lives or we're getting upset about something and we get angry or we get frustrated or even we get sad, we're hurt. Those emotions don't automatically propel us to people, do they? Those emotions actually have us shrink back. So if I find myself in the middle of an opportunity that actually becomes opposition, I may not lean into people. It may be more natural for me to shrink back and throw a pity party all by myself. And Naaman was about to shrink back and leave Israel, leave Samaria without his miracle. But thank God for officers. Why do you think we have small groups? Because we all need some officers in our lives. We all need somebody that when life is going stinky or we're told something that just, oh, we don't agree with, right? It rubs us the wrong way, not because it is the wrong way, because there's something wrong in me, because of my pride, because I, I thought it would come out different. I need some people around me that are gonna say, yes, you probably have some more knowledge than me. I mean, this was their boss, but thank God they could say, no, no, no. I think you're gonna make a mistake if you leave this place. So what happens if we find ourselves in an opportunity, but it's stirring up opposition? I would ask you, would you please get curious with these questions? I'm gonna give you some questions because hear me, we cannot be spiritually mature and be emotionally immature. And so many of us have grown up with families that we just don't deal with our emotions. But I am promising you as a Christian for 20 years, as a pastoral leader for 18 years, we cannot go spiritually deep if we are emotionally immature. And so my heart right now is to get you to start asking some questions about yourself, about ourselves. So when I find myself in opportunities that could propel me spiritually forward, but my immaturity wants to hold me back, I can say, stop it emotions. You don't get to control this. I'm gonna acknowledge you but I'm gonna to choose to be spiritually mature. So you okay if we get into these questions real quick? All right, let's get curious to this. Why does this bother me? Right, Naaman reacted instantly. I'm out. Do you know that that's like a trauma response? It's called flight. Peace, deuces, bye Felicia, I'm out of here. I don't like how I feel. I don't wanna be here, I'm gone. That's what Naaman did, he did flight. But if I asked myself, why does this bother me? Think about if Naaman would have been in that situation and you might be actually thinking about a situation where you're like, man, I was like Naaman too. I think of Naaman and why does this bother me? Because I'm respectable. Because I'm used to being important. And this, this prophet isn't treating me like I'm important. I'm used to being number one in the room. 
And here I am, he won't even come out the door. Why does this bother me? Why does this bother me? I'm upset, I'm bothered. The next question is, what feelings am I experiencing? Naaman's frustrated, he's angry. Do you know what? Anger is literally just an emotion that's actually the iceberg of a whole lot of other things going on. I'm angry because I'm not being seen. I'm angry because I don't feel respected. I'm angry because I'm a powerful person, but I'm stuck in a powerless situation. Think about that. We often look at people and we see them for surface face value. And we just don't know if we were to dialogue and get curious about some things, what would we find? I'm a powerful man, but I'm powerless over this disease. I can conquer armies, but I can't control what's happening to my body. Why? Does that make sense? We gotta, we gotta get curious with these questions. Next question. What is being revealed in me? What's being, all this stuff, it's bothering me. And see, this is the difference between the world and then walking with Jesus. The difference is that God wants something to be revealed in you. He wants something. He wants you to go a little bit deeper, look a little bit more down that area and say, what, what, needs, to, what needs to be addressed? See, in Naaman, it was pride. Well, why was he struggling with pride? Because he was scared because he was fearful, because he was a powerful man in a powerless situation. What is being revealed in me? But here's where it changes. God, is there anything you wanna do? Anything you wanna change in me? You know, I just had lunch with some beautiful ladies yesterday. We were actually talking about this, that being a Christ follower isn't easy. Anybody? Yeah. Following Jesus ain't always the easiest thing to do. And I believe it has a lot to do with this. Because even though you may be the victim, even though it may be conflict and opposition that was put against you, God may want to do a new work in you. God may want to use that opposition to get to an area of your life that may not have been addressed had it not been revealed in this moment. And being revealed does not feel good. Right, we've all had that dream where we wake up and we're at school, we've got no clothes on, right? Or we're speaking in front of a crowd and they're not the ones naked, I'm the one naked and I'm not prepared and all these things. We have those dreams where we feel completely exposed, completely vulnerable. We don't like that feeling. But God is saying, lean into that feeling. Lean into me and let's do something about this. Why? Because Naaman's opportunity revealed pride, but it required humility. If he wanted to be healed, he was going to have to humble himself and dip in that Jordan seven times. And he did it. He did it. Now, I don't know if he had an attitude walking down there. I don't know if he was silent. You ever been with somebody who just doesn't want to talk when they're mad and they stonewall and they shut down? He probably wasn't fun to go down to the river with, but he did it. He did it. Sometimes we need to quit critiquing the way you got there, but just praise God that you got there, that you make it to that place of confronting. Come on. So Naaman's opportunity revealed pride, but it required humility. So in verse 14, it says, So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him. And his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child, and he was healed. Forget dermatology. I need to go down to the Jordan River and I need to get some skin. <laughs> like a child, like a baby. 
<laughs> says that Naaman, his entire party, went back to the man of God. They stood before him and Naaman said, now I know that there is no God in the world except in Israel. Friends, when God wants to do a work in you, it's not just for us, it's so that he will be glorified. It's so that people will look at him and know that he is God. So please accept a gift from your servant. He wants to bless Elisha because he's been blessed with a miracle. But Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept any gifts. And though Naaman urged him to take the gift, Elisha refused. He refused. He didn't, he didn't want compensation. Now in that day, there was a reason for that because there were false prophets going around in that day trying to make accusations, trying to play a role for a monetary response. And Elisha wanted none of that. I'm telling you, friends, if you get into bed with people, business, friendships, that are not known for trustworthy, honorable, working affairs, don't get meddled in that. Don't get meddled in that association. And Elisha refused, even though it would have been an incredible amount of money. Even though it would be a blessing, he said, mm -mm, I'm not compromising my call. I'm not compromising what God has set me apart to do. I'm not messing with it, it's messy. And he let him go. But, <laughs> but. Gehazi, Gehazi, or Gehazi actually is how you say it, Gehazi. Aren't you glad we have like, my name's John, you know? But this is Gehazi. Gehazi was Elisha's servant. He was his assistant is a better word, it's assistant. Do you know that Elisha was once somebody's assistant? Elisha was Elijah's assistant. When Elijah did miracles, Elisha was there to see it. When Elijah was taken up to heaven, Elisha said, you don't get to go anywhere unless I get a double portion of the work and power of God in you. I want it in my life. And sure enough, now Elisha has this prophetic mantle on his life. He's doing double the miracles, double the power that his mentor Elijah did. And Gehazi is the new Elisha to Elijah. He's the assistant. He is seeing people raised from the dead. I wanna paint this picture for you because I need you to get understanding that this guy had full access to the power of God. This guy got to be at tables and in rooms where miracles happen. In fact, if you go just back to 2 Kings chapter four, there was a Shunammite woman. I just mean she's a woman from Shunam. Like it's just like I'm a Nevadan uh, something, Nevadanite, no Nevadan, right? I'm from Nevada, she's from Shunam. And so the Shunammite woman was older in age had been infertile her entire life, could never have a child. And she blessed Elisha with her hospitality. And Elisha said, what can I do for you? And she said, I don't need anything, I'm good. And Gehazi knew the scoop. And so he came to Elisha and said, she says she's good, but she doesn't have a child and her husband's old. Can you, can you do something about that? So Elisha walks up to the Shunammite woman and says, by this time next year, you will hold a son in your arms. Gehazi saw this. In fact, he saw this next year when sure enough, just as the prophet had spoken, this woman held a baby in her arms, a son. But it also says in 2 Kings chapter four that a few years down the road, this little boy was out working with his dad on the farm and he has a sunstroke and he dies in his mother's arms. And his mom's like, no devil, not today. She's like, that prophet told me I was gonna have a baby. 
Didn't tell me I was gonna have a baby and a few years later he was gonna die. And so I'm packing up my stuff. She put her son on the prophet's bed at her house. At her house, she had a room that was just for the prophet when he come into town. And so she laid that baby not on his bed, she laid her baby on Elisha's bed and said, I'm gonna go back to Elisha and see this, see this thing through. She traveled all the way to Elisha. Gehazi's there. Gehazi's told, run, run back to her house. Put my staff on that little boy and, and see if he lives. And that mama says, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not getting sidekick, I'm getting Batman, right? I'm not getting Robin, I'm getting Batman. And so Batman's gotta come down to town. And numerous times he prays to that little boy and that little boy lives. Gehazi saw it all. He saw miracles. He saw dead people come back to life by the power and faithfulness of God. But how many y'all know, there may be a little bit of ugly in us even though we see the miracles of God. And so Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, here we are now back to our scripture. He saw and said to himself, to himself, this internal talk, my master should not have let this Aramean get away without accepting any of his gifts. As surely as the Lord lives, I will chase after him and get something from him. So Gehazi set off after Naaman. See, when opportunity becomes opposition, it reveals your character. It reveals your character. Gehazi, again, had every opportunity to see the faithfulness, the goodness of God. But inside of him, was this desire for monetary means. Here he is where he sees all these riches available and he cannot reconcile in his head. Why didn't you take some? Why didn't you just take a sliver of it? And so instead of obeying and lining up with what Elisha said, he sneaks behind Elisha's back and he runs after them and he catches up with them and he asks him for the money. See, what we have to learn is that when opportunity becomes opposition. Hear me. You may get an opportunity that goes against your convictions. There may be opportunities at work, whether it's career, with as a person who's not your spouse. There may be opportunities for financial gain. There may be opportunities for moving ahead. There might be mover, moving ahead opportunities that cheat the system. But that opposition, that, that opportunity is an opposition of your faith of your values. And when that happens, friends, it reveals our character. And hear me, here's the deal. Character is not who you portray in public. Character is who you are in private. Character is not who we are in front of people. It's really revealed in who we are in private. And so we're gonna see Gehazi. It says, when Naaman saw Gehazi running after him, he climbed down from his chariot and went to meet him. Do you see that? He climbed down from his chariot. Like he's already had this humbling, humbling experience with God. This is just a servant of the man of God. And Naaman's like, I am so appreciative of what the Lord has done in my life. I've had a change of heart and I'm getting off this chariot because this guy must need something and I'm gonna serve. And so he got off the chariot to meet him. He said, is everything all right? Naaman asked. Yes, Gehazi said, but my master has sent me to tell you that there's two young prophets from the hill country of Ephraim and they've just arrived. So guess what, we've got house guests. We weren't expecting them. You know, when you offered that money, ah, we didn't know they were coming, even though I'm a prophet. We didn't know they were coming. And so now we've got these two visitors and we could use some supplies, Naaman. And he would like 70 pounds of silver and two sets of clothing to give him. None of that's true. 
So Gehazi uses a story that fits his narrative, that fits the situation. He creates an opportunity, but it's in opposition to truth. And so here we go. It says, by all means, again, because generosity, gratitude, thankfulness. Naaman says, by all means, take twice as much silver. Naaman insisted he gave him two sets of clothing, tied the money up in two bags, and sent two of his servants to carry the gifts for Gehazi. It took two people to carry those gifts. This isn't even a, 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 a monetary bulk of stuff that Gehazi could carry on his own. When you are dishonest, it may get other people wrapped up in it. When we compromise our character, friends, it includes sometimes other people. And how awful of us to drag others into our compromising of our own character. And that is what Naaman is doing. And it says they took the gifts, they sent them in back, then they went and hid the gifts inside the house. So Naaman comes back into, or I'm sorry, Gehazi comes back into the home and hides the gifts that he had taken. See, Gehazi's opportunity revealed greed and he compromised his character. There are things in our life, guys, you have to understand, we all have a sinful nature, right? Even the Apostle Paul, who we learned last week, was like the most amazing, amazing powerhouse, down with suffering, loving Jesus, serving people. Even he said of himself, the things I hate to do, God, I find myself doing. And the things I know I should do, I don't find myself doing. Why am I at war with this inside of me? because we all face that war. We all have an internal struggle from what my, call, the Bible refers it to my flesh, right? What my fleshly nature, my worldly nature, my sinful nature wants and what the spirit of God moving in my life wants. And remember, like, it's almost like those cartoons, like the good angel and the devil, like, you know what I mean? Sometimes I feel like that's inside of me. And Gehazi had the opportunity and that revealed greed and he compromised his character. Friends, it's what we do with the opportunities. Some of us get opportunities, we didn't ask for them. We didn't ask for the opportunity to skip ahead and compromise our character, but it came. But it's what do we do with those opportunities? I wanna show you something that, again, I'm a teacher today, right? Let me show you, I made a graph for you. Actually, I didn't make the graph, I wrote it on paper and I had Pastor Jeremy make the graph because he's a lot better at this stuff than I am. But here is, here's the cycle, what I call the compromising cycle of character. So how do we get to a place where I, I want to have godly character, but I compromise? How, how, how do I walk through this, right? Here's what it is. It starts with obligation. It's when I'm doing my day-to-day, -day, whether it's my relationship with the Lord, marriage, my career. When I start to feel that it's an obligation, it's when my days are filled with have-tos instead of want-tos. Have you ever felt like my days are filled of have-tos instead of want-tos? I begin to feel like I'm living a life of obligation. And that obligation, if I don't deal with the, well, some of the, you have to work, friends, if you want to eat, right? Like, I gotta pay my bills. If they wanna get paid, I gotta have money. There's things that I have to do. But if I stick in a place that I hate, well, then that could be a place of have-tos. Or do I get creative and lean into the Lord? Like, Lord, I know I've got this skill set. Can you open a door elsewhere? But until then, God, I'm gonna be faithful. And I'm gonna set my heart every day that what I do today, I'm doing it is unto the Lord. 
and I'm changing my mindset. But if we don't change our mindsets, even in uncomfortable situations, it becomes a situation of obligation. And if we let the obligation go unchecked for a long time, we begin to feel resentment. And this is, I become bitter because of my have tos. And if I stay in resentment, I go on to entitlement. And entitlement is giving me the permission to step outside my convictions, to step outside God's plan for my life, to step outside my marriage, outside honesty, outside truth, because when I'm entitled, I deserve this because of what I have to go through. Do you see the cycle? And then because I'm entitled and I deserve something because this is really hard, I just want to escape. And I compartmentalize my life. How do we have affairs? Like, let's be honest. How do mainstream pastors have moral failures and still take the pulpit on Sundays? I've wondered that. Like, I am so afraid of God. I'm like, if I ever messed up, like lightning would strike me right here and I would die, (laughs) right? I have such a healthy fear of God and a love for you, babe. But I really feel like someone's gonna stand up, thus saith the Lord, you are cheating on your husband. Repent, right? I got a healthy fear of God. But I always wondered, especially with social media and us hearing these stories of fallen brothers and sisters in faith that make the news, you know of them. And there's some that don't make the news. But how did they get there? They compartmentalize their life. This is my life is unto the Lord. This is my life is unto myself. And apparently no lightning bolts in between, right? I'm kidding, but I'm not kidding. Like, okay, I'm working through it, okay? So I go from escape, but then it's just a vicious cycle because then I have guilt from the escape. I'm feeling guilty for what I'm doing because I'm sinning. And that leads me to more obligation. And then I'm just doing more and more have-tos. I'm getting more and more resentful. And I'm feeling more and more entitled. And all of a sudden, the fair isn't enough. Now I'm in a substance abuse. Now I'm considering suicide. You see what I'm saying? It's a vicious cycle of compromise. And that is not what God has called you. It's not what he's called you to. It's not what he's called me to. So I want to tell you, this is not hopeless. There's a way to get out of this. So if you find yourself, you're like, Holy smokes, Lynn's, I am already at escape. Or maybe you're like, I can feel some obligation in my heart. Or maybe you're sitting here today and you've been having that attitude where, well, I deserve something because this is really hard that I go through, right? Let me show you how, to, how we do this on a regular basis on how to deal with it, okay? How do I deal with issues of character, right? Who I am, the core, my integrity. Recognize and respect what God has called you to, right? I have a a healthy respect, (laughs) a little bit of fear, respect with what God has called me to. In my personal life, you've heard me, I've served Jesus for 20 years. And that's so small compared to some of you in this room. Some of you have loved the Lord for decades and decades and you're my hero. And I hope to follow so closely after you. But I look at my life and I say, I don't wanna throw this away. Out of anybody that God could have called, he chose a girl who lived a whole lot of life before she found Jesus. A whole lot. And yet he looked at me and he said, you're worthy. He looked at me and said, I'm calling you to the ministry. You're gonna lead. You're gonna teach. You're gonna love. You're gonna heal others, but you're also gonna be healed, Lindsay. 
I recognize that, that he handpicked me. Do you recognize that he handpicked you? Do you recognize and reflect on your life like, oh, if it hadn't been for the grace of God, where would I be? Wow. I have respect for the life that he's given me. I think of my son and I love him so much that I would never want him to have to walk through the heartache that my husband and I have walked through as children whose families have split apart. I love him, I respect it. I respect that God has called me to holiness. I told you last week, I've been walking imperfectly but faithfully for 20 years. I respect and I honor that God said the work that he started in me, he's going to carry it out to completion. He's gonna see it done. I respect that. I respect that the Lord says that the Holy Spirit lives in me. That God isn't some distant God that sits on a throne so far away from us, but he made his home in my heart. I recognize that and I respect it. And so when things come up, opportunities that could oppose the Spirit of God inside of me, that could oppose my family, that could oppose my marriage, that could oppose my character, I repent. Father, I'm sorry. And I, wrote, I know that repent may sound so churchy, but all that means is to turn. Repent means a change of direction so that if I wasn't going in the direction that honored God, His plans, His will, His truth, His purpose in my life, well then God, I'm sorry. I'm not gonna just give you lip service. I'm gonna change direction. I'm gonna change the way I think. I'm gonna change the way I speak. I'm changing. Next is fast. What does fast mean? It means to remove. I am on day two of a fast that I'm doing. I can tell with everything that's been happening around the world, and you all know personally, this has been a hard year for Jeremy and I. And I'm in the process of healing from some things that we've lost this year. And I know that in my healing state, that I'm a little tender. And I've realized that even watching TV has been rough for me. And not that I'm watching anything inappropriate because we made those rules long ago. But even the sarcasm or even the attitudes, I can't, it's not what I need right now. I feel God saying, I want more of you, Lindsay. And you don't need to lean into this. I need you to lean into me. I'm done with TV for the next 30 days. Not because my pastor called me to it. <laughs> Not because anyone else is doing it. Just because I need a break. And I know God's got something to speak to me and I need to eliminate that in my life right now. Pray. Daily communication consistently with God. Do we pray? And so many times we leave it at that and we never replace. So if I were just to remove TV from my life for the next 28 days, well, then I've just, I've just removed something, but what, what am I replacing it with? I wanna write a book. I wanna, I wanna read more of his word. I wanna study more. I, wanna, I know that there's content in me that needs to come out. And so I replace the TV time with something that I believe God is doing in this season. So if you are going to remove something from your life, don't just remove it, replace it. Amen? Replace it. So here's what happens with Gehazi's story. When he went into his master, Elijah asked him, where have you been Gehazi? And this is the funny thing because God did the same thing with Adam and Eve after they ate of the fruit. 
from the tree of, of, of the knowledge of good and evil. They were told not to eat from that fruit, not to eat from that tree. And God walks the garden and says, where are you? Did God know where they were? Yes. It was a rhetorical question, right? It's a, you better get to thinking we're about to have a Jesus moment question. Your parents have probably had some moments with you like that growing up. I know mine did. Where you been? I'm like, oh crap, they know where I've been, right? I'm in trouble. Well, that happened to Gehazi. Where have you been, Gehazi? I haven't been anywhere. How have you gone from a grown man to a child? I haven't been anywhere, right? You're caught. He replied, but Elisha asked him, don't you realize that I was there in spirit when Naaman stepped down from his chariot to meet you? Is this the time to receive money and clothing, olive groves and vineyards, sheep and cattle, male and female servants? Because you've done this, you and your descendants will suffer from Naaman's leprosy forever. When Gehazi left the room, he was covered with leprosy, his skin as white as snow. Compromise ain't worth it, friends. Those moments of indulgence when we know we're not indulging in the right things, long-term, it's not worth it. And long-term, our decisions of compromise can affect generations. They can affect generations in our family. The same way that I have hope that one good decision in the right direction can change the trajectory of your family. I believe that as much as evil can take a family down a wrong road, good and honor and righteousness and holiness and steps toward that can take a family down an entire different generation. So what are we gonna do? This is where my hope comes from. This is what my hope comes from. David says this, for I was born a sinner. We were all born sinners. The Bible tells us that all of us fall short of the glory of God. And if you think you're not a sinner, you're a liar. And we don't lie in here, right? We know, we know it, we're sinners. He says, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me, the moment I was conceived, I'm a sinner. But you, God, you desire honesty from the womb. So even though I'm born into this broken world, even though I'm born with a sinful flesh, human nature, God desires so much more for my life from the moment I'm in that womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. That is the white that we identify with. I don't identify with leprosy. I don't identify with generations of harm and pain in my family because of decisions that I made. I, I identify that God has purified me from my sins. I identify that my God, because of the death on the cross, has cleaned me and washed me. And when you look at me, I am whiter than snow. Not just because I'm pale and I don't tan, because Jesus sees me as sinless. Oh, give me back my joy again. You've broken me. Guys, character shaping does not tickle. It's uncomfortable. When God is refining me in the fire, it's not a massage that I'm like, oh, this is awesome. It hurts. When something's out of joint, when you knock that baby back in, does that feel like a warm hug? No. It feels like, ah, right? It hurts. But you're breaking me to restore me. I'm going through a little bit of fire, but I'm coming out like gold, amen? I'm shining, I'm shining. And the end result is rejoice. Now let me rejoice. And so we're gonna recognize, we're gonna respect. 
We're gonna repent. My family, we've got a saying in our family, we don't do perfection because we can't be perfect. And if we are raising our children to be perfect, we're setting a bar that they can never ever reach. We're setting them up for failure. So in our family, we say we don't do perfection, but we do repentance. You don't get, a long, get away long quick in our house. You, you gotta, you, we repent. Fast, pray, replace, but rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice. So let's look at this one more time as we wrap up today. Don't live a life of obligation because it's gonna turn into resentment. It's gonna lead to entitlement and you're gonna wanna escape. And that's just gonna be a life of compromise. And that is not what God has called us to, but God has called us to recognize and respect, to repent, fast and pray, replace. And all of this ends in rejoicing. Amen? Amen, amen, amen. All right, I'm gonna pray over you today because God is so faithful and He's so good and we are going to get on with our day. So dear Heavenly Father, we love you so much. We're so grateful for all that you do in our lives. And I just believe, Lord, that you are doing something special in our lives. I believe, Lord God, that there are open hearts in this room, Lord, that you can. We're inviting you to reveal things in our lives that you want to make more like you. If there's anyone in this room today and you're saying, I would like to invite Jesus into my life to do a work in me, that God is revealing things in me and I, I would like him to do a work that only he can do with every head bowed, with every eye closed. If that is you and saying, I, I want God to do a work on the things that he's revealing in my life. Would you raise your hand? Would you raise your Yes, I wanna know him prayer. Yes, I see you. Yes, I see you. That's awesome. Yes, I see you. I see you. That's wonderful, friends. It's wonderful. And so let's all say this together. Say, dear Jesus, thank you. Thank you for giving your life for my sins. Today, I repent. I ask for your forgiveness. I desire for you to be Lord of my life. Reveal in me what you want to make to be more like you. My life is open. Do your work in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen. Awesome.